Hello and welcome to the Voter Podcast because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media maven, dog lover, and friend to smart, powerful women. And I'm Jen Jordan, former state senator, lover of dogs, mother, wife, all the great things, and uh, just happy to be alive today with a bad mic. So please forgive me, everyone listening. I am Terry Anelowitz. I, too, am a whole, complete woman with a husband and children (laughs) and dogs. And I am a state representative in House District 42 in Cobb County. Well, welcome, ladies. Um, It's great to be back with the three of you and seeing each other. So we're going to be doing this more regularly. So this is exciting. And, you know, let the record show that on our last episode, uh, former Senator Jen Jordan uh, and lawyer to the stars, she said, what did you say about President, former President Trump and state and federal court. What did you project? I said he wasn't going to remove. It's like it comes out like last week. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday. And you would have thought that it was the the biggest news of all time that he wasn't going to remove. And I was like, I literally have been saying this ever since Steve Jones got the case. Um, and not only that, but but in terms of the 11th Circuit, the people that it's been assigned to, and you know, for them to look at it on appeal, though a lot of those are Obama appointees. So there is no way he was going to let that happen. And it wasn't going to be on television. So come on, y'all. Like this is, he looks at this as just as alternative programming. He's not even thinking about it in terms of being a real trial. So I was like super giving myself major pats on the back, like with no one around, like, and nobody listening. But, you know. People are listening. They're listening to you now. And Mm -hmm. we are all giving you that hat tip that you did call it. Um, I mean, is this, this is, this is it's kind of icky all around, right? I mean, having it on TV, like what? So I've been watching um, all of the things that Judge uh, McAvee's been doing, and he's been doing a really good job. Um, I've been really impressed with him. It is like, you know, it's kind of like nerd. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch. It's to see a judge and how he rules and how he handles um, the different lawyers and stuff. And I think he's I think he's got it under control. He seems very um, I mean, he he seems to be doing his homework. And I think that's all that that we can ask for. So, you know, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be an interesting trial, especially the initial one. Um, with with Chesbro, Cheesebro, whatever his name is, and um, Sidney Powell. Terry, what do you think? How does like like this is going on, and you're going to be going into session in January? Mm-hmm. What does that look like as far as uh, how everybody's talking to each other? I think it is going to take place in a little bit of a silo for the session. It's and it's it's not just a session, right? It's an election year session, and so you're going to have all of these representatives and senators who are gearing up for their runs, right? I mean, they're going to be campaigning basically while we're in session. Every time someone goes to the well during this 2024 session, they are giving an election speech, right? They're going to be stumping every single time they go to the well, whatever it is they're speaking about, leaf blowers, trans youth, criminal justice reform, 
whatever it's going to be, they're giving a campaign speech. And so I think that it's going to be a little bit siloed simply because we're a bunch of narcissists who want to get reelected. And I think a lot of the Republicans especially aren't going to want to particularly link themselves super closely to Trump, particularly because they might have a district that is different from the district they live in right now. And they might have a district that is different than the district they ran in two years ago, because we may have a special redistricting session. And so you have a lot of Republicans, especially, who might have a district that is much more moderate or even much more democratic leaning than it was when they were elected two years ago because of redistricting. And those folks especially are not going to want to be I think, hand in glove with anything remotely related to Donald Trump. But one of the things that we really need to watch out for, and in particular with Sean Still, for example, there were some conditions of his bond, particularly around trying to influence witnesses or going after certain people. Um, he entered into the same conditions that Giuliani and Trump and the rest of them entered into. And so, look, every time he gives a speech, He's going to have to be very careful with respect to any of those statements um, and, and for it not to look like he's trying to influence a jury. Um, and I would be very careful if I were any of the rest of those cats who um, I would lovingly refer to as being in the um, what did I, the sedition caucus. That's what I called them. I was like the sedition caucus, you know, Burt Jones and. Brandon Beach and the rest of them, everybody who was there at the Giuliani thing and pushing for Trump, you know, those guys need to be really, really careful because in terms of whatever their statements are or whatever that are public facing, um, I don't think that Fonnie Willis and her folks or even at the federal level that they're all of a sudden they've stopped paying attention. Right. And so, you know, any of these things you know, depending on the content of them could be considered kind of another overt act or, or, or kind of being part of the conspiracy. So I would be really, really careful um, if I were some of those, those those dudes. No, that's a good point. If I'm Sean Still, I'm not going to the well at all. And if Bill you... Waters, right? Exactly. <laughs> and if you are one of the grown-ups in the room in the Senate Republican Caucus, you're probably going to do everything you can to keep both the indicted folks and the potentially unindicted co-conspirators who belong to that chamber, you're going to want to keep them out of the well, right? You're going to try to do what you can now. Good luck. Some, you know, but. But what about Burt Jones? I mean, look, Burt Jones isn't wrapped up in, in the 19, but clear, you know, because he has that, there was that technicality where uh, DA Fonnie Willis had a fundraiser for him. So there he was disqualified. For Charlie Bailey. For Charlie right. Bailey. Right. That's right. Thank you for clarifying. So, uh, you know, we really don't know what's happening with him. And he's given a lot of speeches and and there's a lot of talk that he could be running for governor but he still could be in trouble right well i think he is running for governor i don't think oh, there's yeah. any doubt about that i think the question is what is um the prosecutor what is it the prosecutor what is it is pac oh, the prosecutorial attorneys. oversight Commission? No, prosecuting attorneys counsel. They're the ones oh, that have the yeah. case now. Um, the problem is there's not a Republican district attorney in this state that's willing to take it on because of the political implications, specifically that you've got Burt Jones, who they know is running for governor. You have Burt Jones, who's lieutenant governor, um, who leads the Senate. And nobody, 
nobody wants to get tagged with that. And when I say nobody, no Republican wants to get tagged with that. And th- that's really the only district attorney that they would they would send it to um, for political reasons. So, you know, they're in a really uh, tough place right now, I think. Well, uh, speaking of tough places, State Senator Colton Moore, uh, it was announced last week that he was suspended, which uh, because he went ahead and I mean, he said some really, really awful things as far as talking about Fonnie Willis and the special session and just like, so he was suspended, but explain what this means, because like some of the stuff he was saying was very threatening as far as get out your rifles. I mean, this was language that was like really, really Crazy. And he's a freshman state senator, um, but they suspended him. But it feels feels like a, a slap on on the wrist. What, what what does this all mean? Well, so I'll I'll jump in real quick. All it means is he's suspended from his caucus, right? So he can't meet with the Republicans. He can't get breakfast with them. He can't hang out. He can't go to their little, <laughs> you know, to the beach with all of them when they do their beach trips. Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff. And you know, they're going to arguably, you know, punish him by putting him on the committees that um, are really ineffective and he won't have any power. Basically, he's just going to be treated like um, a Democrat. That's it. Um, that's effectively <laughs> what the punishment is, which I have to tell him is is actually not that bad um, all in all. Um you know, not to have to hang out with the Republican caucus. Well, the breakfast is a big deal. Like I can tell you, at least in the House Democratic caucus, and I'm sure it's the same in the other three caucuses, not getting breakfast is a big deal. Like people are very food motivated in that building. And, and you know, it's hard to have to like get your own breakfast as a grown up. Like a grown ass <laughs> like man. Like a grown ass man. It's, I'm so it's, sorry. No, but it, it's that, that is a big deal. But he's, I think we really have to emphasize what a backbencher he is. I mean, he is not, he has, he didn't, he never had any clout. He didn't have any clout when he was in the house. He is not an influential person inside the Capitol. People, you know, lobbyists aren't going to him to carry bills. No, I mean, he's, he is kind of a no load. And so, but he's a no load, but nationally, because he's had Trump, right, talking about him, people think he's a big deal. People who don't really know a whole lot about what happens in the Georgia Capitol, they don't know as much about the intricacies of Georgia politics. They don't realize that he's a total backbencher no load and that he has no influence. And so he's been elevated really outside of Atlanta and outside of the Capitol. He's raised tons of money. I thought somebody commented something and it might have been Oh, I was in the jolt, so I don't know exactly. I don't know who to, to whom it should be attributed, but they said, you know, I wonder if he, all this money he's raised, will he share it with any of the 19 indicted folks who might need some help paying their legal bills? And I think the answer is no, uh, but he is going to use it to continue to be a real thorn in the side of Republicans. I mean, he's if you're a Democrat, Colin Moore is not, he's neither here nor there. But if you're a Republican in Georgia right now, if you're elected, he's making their lives miserable, miserable because they're hearing from their constituents who are drinking the Colton Moore tonic, but you know, they're, they're buying what he's selling and they are harassing and haranguing their elected officials. Like, why aren't you doing this? Why won't you do what Colton Moore does? So he's, he has set himself up to be a key adversary to the other 
Republicans that he works with. But, but what's so interesting about this is, and let's go back to his time in the House, he basically got ran out of the House by the Speaker. Like, oh, yeah. he, he was such a, a, a non-entity there that um, he decided he would rather leave um, because, you know, the Speaker was going to set somebody up to run against him. And oh, yeah. so he has wandered into the Senate seat now. And really, he is fashioning himself almost like a Marjorie Taylor Greene type because he can't have any real um, power or, or any real influence. And this is really the only way to do it. And so he's doing the grift, right? He's raising money yep. left and right. He's trying to get his national profile up there. But this this guy's a kid. I mean, maybe he's 30. I, I'm not maybe. sure. But, but he went to Georgia. Well, I mean, he's not dumb, clearly. Right. I mean, he right. was seemed dumb. dumb. But then, so no. Taylor Green, yeah, but she went a long time ago, but like she went a while ago. It was, <laughs> that was it was a different Georgia when she was there. She's but, she's no spring chicken. But listen, are we at this place in our politics now? I mean, look at this government shutdown where it's just like, are these lawmakers really wanting to legislate or they just want the clicks? So here he goes on a random podcast, says crazy stuff. And I'm sure is there like someone in leadership who's pulling him aside and being like, dude, STFU, like, and then the other part of it that really fascinates me are the other Republicans who are now being harassed because of the things that he says, where it's like, oh, isn't that interesting? You know, knowing, I mean, just on this podcast, uh, knowing what uh, former Senator Jen Jordan went through when she dared to comment or, or like, you know, speak out against something. It's interesting when that comes on the other side. Right. Some of these guys, is, they be, they be defamed or anybody. Right, exactly. right. Well, and Jen, one theory I have is that part of the reason they did the censure of him and they, that they, you know, removed him from the caucus, they knew he was going to go fundraise on it and send emails and get people riled up. But does this give Senate Republican caucus leadership, the ability to go to the members and be like, look, we are trying. We know he's making all of our lives miserable. We're doing something about it. You know, do you think that was, I mean, it seems like it's all completely internal caucus politics and are as leadership doing that because they need their rank and file members to know that they are trying to throw them about. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me because look, I think they've got a real problem on their hands. The Republicans do because they weren't very nice to Colton from the beginning. Okay. Right. So he wasn't part of the popular kids in the caucus or the ones that people liked. He wasn't like loved on and told how great he was. He was already kind of pushed to the side as it was. Um, so there wasn't any, they didn't have any power over him, right? Like they hadn't given him the good committees anyway. They had, they weren't nice to him anyway. They weren't helping him anyway. He didn't mm -hmm. have relationships anyway. And so it was one of those things where he had nothing to lose kind of from an institutional place, right? Just to be like, well, you know, screw it. I'm going to do what I want to do and kind of raise my own, own profile. Now, within the Senate rules, there are ways that you can go after different members. It'll be interesting if they do it formally, right? Because caucus is different than the whole Senate. Right. 
Um, and also, I think it's a really interesting thing where we literally have someone who's been indicted for trying to overturn the elections, who's a sitting state senator, and they are lauded their happy birthday on the Senate press. Yeah, I just sent on our text thread. Happy our, birthday, you know, <laughs> Senator Still. Yeah, Georgia Chamber, time, freshman yeah. of the year. Yeah, I mean, the while fact- Colton Moore is being, you know, censured and, and thrown out of his caucus. Mm-hmm. It's like the hypocrisy here is real. And what it comes down to is who they like and who they don't like and who they can use and who they can't use. And Colton wasn't letting them use him because he was doing what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is really kind of... It may look like they're they're trying to be like, oh, we're we're the Senate and, and we, you know, we act differently. That ain't that's not what it is, because you got you're sitting next to the guy who's been indicted in Fulton County. <laughs> it's so messy. Speaking of that, I want to go back to that for one second because uh Scott Hall uh, who was charged in the Coffee County data breach, uh, one of the 19, uh, has now, he's pleading guilty. So can you explain what this means and what this, so like we're in a RICO case and these people, as we talked about from the beginning, these birds are going to start singing. So do you think that he rats out, uh, you know, the rest of them? Uh, what, what what happens with this? I, I think it applies specifically, obviously, so what's interesting and, and helpful to folks who are wanting to try to figure out, because they're almost like these chapters, right, of this book for this indictment. And one of the chapters is the Coffee County um, kind of debacle that happened when Sidney Powell and the computer folks went down there and Scott Hall was part of that. Um, and so with respect to anybody who might need to be worried, if I'm part of that chapter of the indictment, including Sidney Powell, I would be very concerned um, because Scott Hall, look, Fonnie's not going to give you a deal unless you got something to give her. Um, so it's, he's giving her something, um, testimony, text, email, something he has that he can hand over to her that, that, actually helps their case and kind of corroborates the allegations of of the indictment ultimately. Um, So if I were worried, I would be, if I were Sidney Powell's attorney, I would be be the most worried person um, because if Scott Hall has anything, it's going to be with respect to her, with respect to Kathy Latham, um, anybody involved in that kind of Coffee County version. And Jen, this seems like a really, really good deal, right? Like he gets to keep his bail bondsman license. He went from six, what, six felony accounts to five misdemeanors. I mean, this is a very good deal. Yeah. So he had to, you don't get that, right? It's like, what you got for me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And also it gives credibility. Like when people plead and he's the first. So if if I were going to look at folks to plead, I would probably look for the low-hanging um, fruit, but also I would look very specifically at the chapters that Chesbro, Cheesebro um, are involved in, um, and then also with respect to, to Sidney Powell, because since they're going to be going straight out, you know, in terms of the trial on October 23rd, um, and actually the first jurors are going to get called in October 19th, so anybody who got a jury summons for that, you've got your golden ticket um, for the Trump trial. Um, <laughs> golden so, ticket. You know, 
those are going to be the ones going first and the ones they really have to, to focus on. So if I were going to try to turn anybody, um, the people I would be trying to turn and, and really get information from would be kind of the players in those chapters. Like Kathy the, Latham. The, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Anybody in the Coffee County one, um, you know, the, the problem with with Cheesebro, and I'm going to call him Cheesebro. He's from Wisconsin. Cheesebro is he's from Wisconsin. Cheesebro. He's from Wisconsin. The Cheesebro. Oh, bless. Yeah. If he was <laughs> Chesbro, they would beat him up in Wisconsin. Come on, he's Cheesebro. But it's not your heritage, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Just because you went to law school, stop acting all all like that. Putting on airs. Um, but yeah. So we'll so we'll see. But they're they're going to be the first ones uh, to go and and and. Ken is a little bit more implicated in the larger plan. So mm. that makes it a little bit harder because anybody you get with respect to him is probably also implicated with Trump at all, right? Because kind of the bigger picture. Right. And and my gosh, this is like coming to, I feel like a, more of them are going to start to fold. As you, as you mentioned last week, you run out of money, you run out of time, and uh, lawyers are not cheap. And um, that's a lot. And, and and especially when as it applies to the Coffee County stuff, because that stuff is like that's still the whole Coffee County thing just blows me away that they didn't think there were cameras there, that they could just they thought that they could pull one over. And I guess in a sense, they almost did. Right. Well, I mean, they did. Yes. Like, who takes all the data from the like the operating systems effectively. Right. Um Anyway, it's anyway, it's a mess. It's crazy it's town. Mess. Okay, well, um, that's a lot to cover. Our our next segment, um, we have a lot to cover with um, a friend of all of ours, uh, and she knows everything there is to know about hashtag G A P O L. We're going to talk to Patricia Murphy. So our guest today is Patricia Murphy with the AJC, and she is pretty much uh, the expert on all things Georgia politics and national politics. Uh, she's worked on Capitol Hill. She's worked for so many outlets, and she's got the Politically Georgia podcast and really writes op-eds that um, I read Never fail. I always read Patricia's column, even if it irritates me sometimes. Uh, I I still am grateful that she wrote it. Patricia, welcome to the Vote Her podcast. Thank you so much. I said when I joined this video feed, I looked at all three of y'all and I'm like this, I mean, talk about a power panel. This is so (laughs) exciting. I'm excited to talk to y'all about politics. Usually I'm talking with a lot of men about a lot of political stuff and you know how that goes. So it's wonderful to be, um, to see just all ladies on the panel. This is refreshing. And of course, I listen to y'all's podcast as well. So, oh, and can I do a quick plug? Mara and I also, um, Mara does publicity for one of my very favorite podcasts. Um, and so we, we've been texting back and forth that about that as well. So we have a sidebar girl crush right now. Well, that's a beautiful thing that we can all (laughs) be together and just spill the tea. So let me start with the first question. Um, You just wrote an op-ed about uh, former Senator Kelly Loeffler, um, appointed Senator Kelly Loeffler. She was not elected. She was appointed. Um, Do you think she's going to run for governor? 
I don't know. I know that she can if she wants to, and she can do anything she wants to, to be (laughs) frank with you. Kelly Loeffler is the largest single Republican donor in the state of Georgia. She has donated to most of the people who are also considering running for governor. Um, She would be their biggest donor if these other people get into the race, somebody like Burt Jones, Chris Carr, um, other Republicans we've heard, uh, maybe not Brad Raffensperger, who, who is thinking about getting into that governor's race. But Kelly Loeffler has a, an enormous footprint in Georgia Republican politics. She also has a very demonstrated interest and fascination in Georgia Republican politics. Um, she did not go back to her company after she lost her Senate runoff. She started her own, basically her own statewide political organization. That's what it felt like. It felt like she was kind of, she was going to be the Republicans kind of, she was going to start the antidote to Fairfight, right? Like a hundred percent. Try yes. to get her profile up with respect to Stacey Abrams, follow that kind of path in terms of that. That's exactly right. And she has said uh, Democrats in 2021 absolutely cleaned their clocks when it came to who was on the ground, who was knocking on doors, who was messaging. She said it was Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. And a lot of that territory had been ceded by Democratic activists and leaders, including Stacey Abrams, including um, the Democratic Party of Georgia, uh, the Biden campaign. She just felt like they were completely outmanned. And uh, she did not have the reinforcements that she felt like she needed on the Republican side. So as one does, as one might be a billionaire, um, decided to do it herself, um, did not want to rely on a future organization for her own kind of political future or or Republicans' political future. So she's uh, doing it herself. Can she connect with actual women? You know, she, I will say she has improved immensely. We used to see her on the stump and it was just very stiff, very awkward. She was, uh, most Georgians had never heard her name and did not know how to pronounce her name when she was appointed senator. Had no clue who this woman was. You could tell she was almost like a deer in headlights during that first press conference. And frankly, throughout her Senate campaign, um, very heavily managed. You could tell she was looking for the talking points in her head to think, what am I, what am I supposed to say right now? Who, who am I going to make mad? Well, you know, all of that's over. So now she's in this space because she wants to be. And she's in front of voters and she doesn't need anything from them. And especially on the conservative side, on the Republican side, yes, she does connect with them. She's much more relaxed. She's not wearing a red checkered shirt. She's just herself more. And um, for Republican women in particular, I think they are very drawn to her. And Republican men who are looking for their next big donor, they are also drawn to her. Yeah, and I think the donor thing is really important. So one of the things that I've noticed that she's doing, which is actually very smart, Right. And and if I were a billionaire, I would be doing it, too. Unfortunately, I'm not um, where you literally you you give campaign donations to every um, Republican elected in the state, everybody running uh, for Republican office in the state. You, you max out to that state rep down in South, South Georgia. You max out to that state senator in Northwest Georgia. You do an appearance with them. And especially when you're talking about outside of Metro, um, those max out checks 
are few and far between from in terms of individuals. And then she can have her LLCs and she can have her husband and then she can have her her group do it. So she alone is is bringing significant um, green to to all of these various people. And look, that people are loyal to that. And and they also are looking forward to if they, they have somebody in the future that may be running against them, or maybe they have future ambitions, they want to keep that connection clear. And so, you know, she's She's doing it. She's doing the right thing when it comes to that. Well, it's interesting that you say that she can connect with Republican women because that is their ground army. Like if you're the GOP, you know, you women have always been the Republican forces on the ground doing the work. It's always been actually surprising to me that there are so many fewer elected Republican women because they're the ones doing all the work to get these men elected. And if she can connect with them, if she can be her authentic self with them, then that is pretty formidable. Yeah. You know, it'll be a different conversation when you're talking about um, moderate women and independent women here in Georgia, um, even more conservative Democratic women. She is very, very conservative, very conservative on abortion issues, very conservative on um, on democracy and election issues. And when I say conservative, I mean, her her plank of of her Georgia, um, greater Georgia group is, um, you know, what they're calling the Republican side, election integrity. So voter challenges, um, going in and, uh, challenging voter, uh, voter registrations if they think they're not legit. Um, the types of things that really light up the GOP base. But then once you get more to the center of the spectrum, you're, It'll, it's very off-putting to some other voters. So it, it, she'll, she's just a fascinating character in Georgia, and she's got um, the time, the money, and the interest to stick around for a long time. All right. Well, we're going to keep our eye on her. I wanted to ask about, uh, Patricia, you and I had connected on this um, about the Georgia Moms for Change, about gun control, women and gun control are changing gun laws. And you've written about this and you've interacted with these women. And, I, you know, this is something that I want Terry and Jen to weigh on as well. You know, it's great to see a lot of people suddenly, you know, waking up and wanting to get involved in politics. What we saw in uh, Nashville uh, at the uh, the Tennessee State Capitol, the the Covenant moms, the the mothers who t- tragically were uh, at that horrible shooting at a preschool or an elementary school, and now we have the Georgia Moms for Change who are really inspired by that. What's your sense with that? Because a lot that's a bipartisan organization. We're talking about women, um, and you know, oftentimes like we debate over this, Jen and Terry and I and some of other people, like we were talking about this with Representative Shay Roberts recently, like it's great when people want to take a bite of the apple, but do you have to be a one-issue voter if you want to get anything done? Talk to me about um, what you've seen and and what your vibes are. So it feels like voter interest in this, particularly younger voters, is so intense on getting some kind of... um, progress on the gun issue, the gun safety issue. Um, At the top of the food chain, it is completely calcified and going in the direction of loosening gun restrictions. And, but the, these moms uh, are something different. And I think there needs to be something different in this conversation to make progress politically, because you have the very clear democratic position, the very clear Republican position, but you need somebody surprising and somebody making a different kind of argument 
to appeal to particularly Republicans in the state because they hold all of the power on this issue um, as long as they're in charge. And so I think having Republican moms, and some of these are Republican moms, they have signs, Republican moms for gun safety. Um, Those are going to be really important voices. And I think they're going to need more of them. But these are uh, particularly, these are women in this individual group. They've inspired other groups like Virginia Moms for Change and California Moms for Change. There is a huge appetite among less politically active women to get very politically active on this issue. They don't care about their party registration. They don't care who feels one way about one side of this issue. They just want to see progress. And I think that that's going to be an important new energy in this debate. Um, they've been That group in particular has been having meetings with people you don't usually have meetings with on the gun issue. Um, I'll hopefully be reporting about that pretty soon. I think that could start to change the momentum on this. What do y'all think? I mean, Jen, you've been on this for a long time. So I'm going to be the Grinch on this. I am I am the Grinch on this issue. <laughs> and maybe it's because I am so cynical from my service um, because I was elected in part in my district as um, folks who were around back then, no, was represented by Hunter Hills, a Republican district. And part of the reason that it flipped um, was because of the gun issue. Women who were Republicans, um, who became one-issue voters, um, women who were up at the Capitol, who were trying to talk to Republicans, women who were apolitical in all other ways. Um, that's what Moms Demand were. It's interesting because now Moms Demand are, you know, Republicans won't speak to them because they view them as too political, which is they started like this, too, that this wasn't about abortion. This wasn't about anything else. You know, this was just about guns and about protecting children. Um, And they really did try to approach it in that very nonpartisan, nonpolitical way. And they were all neophytes. They come into it thinking, okay, we're going to have really real conversations. We're you know, this is going to be great, right? And then they got the door eventually slammed in their face as well. Um, I, Patricia, I hope and pray that you're right, but it has been, I mean, it was so hard in terms of just even having normal conversations with people at the Capitol when I tried to get the domestic, um, people who were convicted of domestic abuse, who cannot be for that, right? That you shouldn't have a gun if if you can't control yourself from beating, you know, your wife and your kid and you've been convicted of it. Who, who can't stand with that? And that became, you know, that's too much. And so after having so many defeats in that area for things that were super, super conservative in terms of just little baby steps and trying not to politicize things, um, you know, I think my I think my heart just got hurt way too many times. I hope you're right. I hope that things will change. But my last session, they passed the most wide ranging open gun laws, um, you know, in the country. And so we weren't we weren't pushing in the right direction at all. And if anything, like you said, it became even more calcified on the Republican end. So, you know, Godspeed for these women. Um, but I am, I am the Grinch on this issue. And I, I really hope that I, that I am completely wrong on it. 
Well, you know, I think what happened with the Tennessee legislature is a vote toward your position. Um, If you cannot see the legislature based in Nashville act months after the covenant shootings of elementary school children and their teachers, um, what else is going to have to change? More than likely who has to change are the people making the decisions. That's That's what's going to need to change. In the meantime, these women may participate in helping to change who's who's in charge. Um, We'll have to see where they go with this and and how frustrated they get because they will get frustrated because this is the toughest issue I think that there is to make any progress on. Yeah, I'm a little bit more optimistic. They are very well connected. They have been able to get meetings that I think most neophytes would not be able to get by virtue of their social connections more than anything else. And that is something I think is different from something we've seen in the past because they're, they are interacting and coming into contact with lawmakers and policymakers and key staffers at church and the preschool carpool line at the neighborhood pool. I mean, they're very relentless and kind of like these covenant moms. This is a group of women who are not accustomed to being told no. And I think that they are not going to take well to, because they know that they, especially in some of the districts, I mean, they, I've looked at some of their numbers and they are truly bipartisan and they represent a lot of women in a lot of districts that are really swingy and might be even more swingy if any redistricting happens. And they are they understand very clearly that right now there is nobody in the Republican Party in Georgia who's elected who's trying to earn their vote on the gun safety issue. And they are ready to go on that. Well, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I lean more with Jen on this one. Um, uh, and I, it's funny because when Jen and I were with Che, Jen was more... Uh, on Terry's side on this one with all the mayors that put the, when that yeah, sign Shay was. Shay was so positive and I was like, <laughs> you're so sweet. Bless your heart. You sweet right. summer child. Oh yes. my goodness, this is going to work out for you. And I'm like, you know, been there, done that, have the t-shirt and have the bruises, um, you know. Yeah, it's a tough thing. Okay, so we know, Patricia, we, have, we know you have another meeting to go into because Georgia politics never, ever, ever stops. So I one thing I wanted to bring up because you wrote about, and this is coming up, and I do find it fascinating that this is going to be in Georgia, a debate with uh, Governor DeSantis and Governor Newsom, California, Florida, in Georgia, why... Let's discuss. I love this so much. First of all, Ron DeSantis can't barely get arrested around this country. He cannot get any of any attention. He cannot get any momentum. He has no juice. He's just sinking in the polls. Um, and he needs some attention. And so Governor Gavin Newsom, who is also fond of attention, <laughs> challenged him to a debate agreed to do it on Hannity, of all places, and laid out three states that he would be willing to do it. Georgia was one of the three, and DeSantis accepted the debate in Georgia. It's happening in November. Um, How do we get tickets? Like, I don't... It's going to be a Hannity-like town hall. So if you have any connections with Hannity... To Fox and Town hall people. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I'm going to do my very best to be there. You'll be there. um, I also think Newsom is so fascinating because he is so clearly... To be the next Democratic hotshot 
that nominee. Speaking of, I, I would love your input on this. You know, the announcement today that he has appointed LaFonza Butler um, to take uh, Senator Feinstein's place. And for those of you who don't know, LaFonza is currently the head of Emily's List. She came in approximately two years ago um, after Stephanie Shirak, Shirak, like, let me get her name right. Um, but what's interesting about LaFonza is that her background is in unions, right? So you've got, she's a woman, she's a black woman. Um, she is LBGTQ woman. She is married to another woman and has a, at least one child, maybe two, um, and was the head of Emily's List. It is like if you are looking at a democratic kind of alliance of different groups, this one woman checks almost every particular box that you need to have checked. And I saw that and I was like, that dude, if you didn't think he wasn't running before, he is running. <laughs> yeah. Thing. And he's so, going to have to have a contest to figure out who the next senator was going to be. He just picked a person. Well, it's yes. like, yeah. Two, right. And she, she was there. So if you have any insight, that would be incredible. Yeah, well, they already had a very crowded Democratic primary of uh, extremely interested and intent candidates, um, including Adam Schiff and Barbara Lee, who's a, an icon and kind of feminist, black feminist politics. Um, they were already running for this Senate seat. And so it was seen that he probably could not pick one of those three. It's three of the biggest candidates. Couldn't pick one of those three um, because that would give them an unfair advantage. However, to pluck this, uh, to to pluck her out of um, the universe, she's young. She's, um, she's never run before. Never run before, has no record to run against. If she wants to be a long-term senator and she did not commit to not running, um, he has elevated this woman in a heartbeat. Um, also, to your point, he's checked every single box of every single affinity group that you would want to keep happy in this moment. He also committed um, to pick a Black woman if he had the chance. So he did do that, and he kind of one-upped himself a little bit um, by going with an Emily's Lister as well. Um, and I think it's very important that she's LGBT. Um, she's the only Black woman in the U.S. Senate right now. So she'll make a huge splash. She's also very well-connected in D.C., very close with Kamala Harris. And so she that pick makes a lot of people happy who need to be not angry with Gavin Newsom. And a lot of people have been telling him behind the scenes to slow his role on Joe Biden because they're like, buddy, you need to sit in the back seat because Joe Biden is the nominee until he's not the nominee. And so, but he's well, still kind of like... She has Georgia connections too, Patricia. You should oh, reach out me. to her people. Yes, tell I me more. Think, I think her mother and maybe brother live in the Georgia area. Um, oh. I sat down with her and had like a two-hour meeting. She came to Georgia last year after um, she took over Emily's list, I guess it's two years ago. She is incredibly impressive. Um, she is the kind of person who walks in the room and is very non-assuming, but she she knows what she's talking about. And she comes to Georgia quite a lot. So um, 
you may be able to snag an interview with her. Well, thank you for that hot tip. I'll be following up with that right now. Once, once we hang up here, we're going to be texting <laughs> some hot, people. <laughs> hot, hot tip. Hot breaking news here on the Vote Her so podcast. Union, I mean, unions. She's LGBTQ. She's black woman. She's strong. She's Emily's list. It's like she's like some kind of unicorn. She's the opposite of uh, Kelly Leffler. Yeah. <laughs> She's appointed to, yes. I mean, she's yeah. literally like, it's the right hand turn and the left hand turn. Yeah, and it, it didn't it, require yeah. some hanky dinky who wants to be a senator contest. Like the governor actually oh, used his power geez. instead of abdicating it and picked someone. Yes, yeah. I think that's the what not to do at the National Governors Association meeting of, hey, guys, let's never do what Brian oh Kemp God. did. Burn every bridge while you're at it. Um, I but totally I, forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, I think that. about that all the time, like with the sliding doors, you know, sort of that whole theory. What would Georgia be like if Brian Kemp had just appointed someone, even if she is who he appointed? If he had just been like, I'm the governor, there's only a couple things I just get to do. This is one of them. And did it like how would Georgia be a different place? And I think it might, unless he did it like the voice, right? Oh, well, that would be, <laughs> yeah. And like, the audition, yeah. they come out, and then we actually call and we can vote. So you can see who connects, who doesn't. Yeah, that might be the right way to do it. I know like you want to have I'm a beer with it. Yeah, <laughs> it. Patricia, your uh, great podcast, which we all listen to, Politically Georgia, has had a bit of a reboot lately. Um, you've got uh, Tia Mitchell. Uh, your Washington reporter who is doing a great job. And of course, Bill Nygut, who has come over to the AJC from GPB. So you've got strong voices. It's going to be on uh, WABE coming later in October. Um, and so tell us about the reorganization and how we're going to listen to you and everything that the AJC is up to. Yes, this is falling under the too much is never enough plan for audio. Um, we are going to be on five days a week and it'll be an hour long live radio show on WABE from 10 to 11. And then it will be re packaged and rebroadcast as a podcast. And so it should be in people's podcast fees that same day around one o'clock. So it will give people sort of the latest and greatest of the morning news and headlines and analysis. We hope to have some really great guests on as well. That'll be something new for us. We typically have not had guests in the past. So we'll have guests. Um, we want it to very much be a part of the conversation when presidential candidates are coming through or um, issues are uh uh, being uh, sort of debated, or if someone happens to be under federal indictment, um, we want all of that to be um, kind of at this table um, five days a week. So that's where y'all can find us. You know where we'll be sitting five days a week, and then we'll be doing the rest of our jobs as well, of course. You'll be doing your laundry, because that's what we learn <laughs> on the Politically Georgia <laughs> podcast. Uh, um, and also the AJC is hiring. Yes, the AJC is hiring. We have we are hiring, uh, first of all, new bureau chiefs across the state. We have already hired in Savannah. We'll also be hiring in Macon, Augusta, Columbus, and potentially North Georgia. And it's a part of um, our ownerships, the Cox family's um, real commitment to local journalism and also toward expanding the AJC's footprint from being a really obviously a dominant metro newspaper to a regional powerhouse, hopefully a multimedia powerhouse. So um, the goal is to uh, 
really start to build a relationship around the state as we used to have when we had daily paper delivery. They want to really reinvigorate that relationship with um, with politicas, sports fans, anybody who loves the Braves, anybody who wants to know what's going on in Georgia politics, um, particularly culture, film, music. Um, Atlanta has just become so incredibly dynamic in so many areas. And so we're really trying to dig into that and we're hiring. So if anybody's looking for a job in journalism, go to AJC.com because there are multiple openings and um, a lot of talented people coming in, coming in as well. It's so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It has really been dying for so many years. And, you know, there are some real stories out there that are happening on the ground outside of Atlanta. But the problem is nobody even knows a lot of this stuff is happening because there's nobody there, right, to cover it. So I, I think it's incredible that y'all are, are you know, y'all are taking that on. Yeah. So, um, and it's going to provide y'all some really good content too, because there's some really interesting things politically happening outside oh, of culture. Yeah, there's some juicy stuff, and there's data. Like when, when, if you are in a news desert, your taxes tend to be higher because you don't have anybody down there at city hall or at the school board meetings paying attention to what these folks are doing. It's a big deal. Yes. And when I I like to do a road trip around the state in the summers to check in on mayors and elected leaders. And uh, some of these uh, smaller communities, they're single weekly newspaper is has does not have the money to really employ anybody. It's just the editor and the printer, and that's it. Um, other newspapers have had to shutter. Others have really had to reduce their newsrooms drastically. So we hope to um, really support those local communities and support their local journalism as well, um, work in concert with their efforts as well. So it's something that we hope will be for the good of the entire state. Well, Patricia, we appreciate the time. I'm going to pitch um, Representative Anulowitz and former State Senator Jen Jordan to be on WABE as guests. I think they'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And you don't even have to send the pitch email because I've just gotten it. You're right Um, there. And if you want to have me on, (laughs) hey, you know what? Uh, We can talk about... Top three. Top three. Absolutely. (laughs) You could bring back Mara's Music Mix. That's That's right. That's something that everybody misses. Yes. I did. I got canceled, but we still love WABE. We adore you, Uh, Patricia. Thank you so much for giving us the time. Oh, Mara, thank you so much. It's great to see all three of y'all. It's great to see you. Thanks, Patricia. Oh, that was fun. I like talking to Patricia. I feel like we segged into all the different... I think we we got... Yeah, I wanted to make a joke about Gavin Newsom, but I didn't want to make it in front of Patricia. So I was like, you know what else Gavin Newsom could get? It. <laughs> You're going to have to... I don't know. He could get it. Like, he's good looking. He could get uh, it. Uh, well, isn't his I ex-wife? Okay. What's her face? The screamy lady? Yeah. He's, oh, she's his ex-wife. Have you seen those pictures? Yeah, oh. on the rug, like the zebra rug oh. or something. It's just Wait, weird. what's her name Wait. again? It's oh, uh, with uh, Donald Trump yeah, Jr. She yells a lot. Don Jr.'s girlfriend. Girlfriend. Gilfoyle. Kimberly oh. Gilfoyle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, she's um that's uh that's a lot there. Um so that's something there. Anyway, that was there was some good information there and good info about the California appointed senator, Jen. I think you really you scooped Patricia. She was excited. I know she needs to get on it. LaFonza's a badass man. She's the kind of person that she does. She kind of like just her energy walking into the room, you're like, whoa. What was the um 
When you had a meeting with her, was that uh, with, when you were running for attorney general? Yeah, it was Emily's list just kind of uh, nationally. And, um, you know, Stephanie had been there for a long, long time and was kind of the face of Emily's list. Mm-hmm. She steps down. And LaFonza was kind of a one of those picks that everybody was surprised about, but then made complete sense. Um, and But you want to talk about somebody who really does have deep ties like in the unions with the unions. I mean, that's what's, that's what's so smart about the picks. Cause you sit there and say, well, she hasn't run before. Well, she sit there and been the head of Emily's list, right? Women and all that money out in California that comes to Emily's list. Um, and then all the unions she was huge in. So all of those, those are really the groups that you have to have on board um, when you're running in a state like, like California and, I mean, some staffer really needs to get a big old pat on the back because that was a really brilliant um, call. And um, maybe Adam Schiff will stop sending me texts for money that somebody <laughs> sold him my, myself. Well, and what about Katie Barnes? She's running for senator, too. A good old dry erase board. Oh, Jones. Katie Porter. Katie Porter. Katie Barnes. I like her little segments, but she doesn't have that thing right like she's good and I've heard that she isn't like well I'm gonna okay well let's talk about what I'll start with you Terry um what are we raving about this week I am raving about the progressive hellscape of Seattle Washington where I spent several days last week and the big thing going around, like my sister, you know, everybody thought it was so funny, was I guess Fox News sent, well, Judge Boxwine, Judge Jean Pirro, sent some reporter lackey down to interview Seattleites on the ground. And basically to get them to be like, yes, it's horrible here. Please send help. Like airlift us out. We need something. And they were all like, no, Seattle's pretty awesome. And one lady in particular was um, was wearing... Her, you know, she looked like you would expect somebody to look from, if you're going to like draw a picture of somebody from Seattle, it might look like this lady. And she was like, oh, did you see a homeless person? Did they scare the guy? I was like, yeah, I saw someone shooting up. This is the reporter. And she's like, oh my God, did they hurt you? Well, no, I was in my car. Oh, that must've been really hard for you to drive by a homeless person. Are you okay? You know, they really kind of turned it on him, which was pretty funny. Seattle, it's great. It's I love Seattle. I've I've never felt unsafe in Seattle. So you know, again, I feel like I'm just this Grinchy. It must be aging and menopause. I love Grinch more. I love it. Let me just be the old lady. Get off my lawn, (laughs) right? Um, So one of my best friends from college, who I will not name, um, is from is not from Seattle, but she's lived out there since we graduated from college. And they used to love it and it was great and all this kind of stuff. The last five years or so, I tell you what, it does sound like there's some major issues. And look, there are issues. This is all on the West Coast, too. When you're talking about San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, um, lots of homelessness because, A, you can't afford a home because it is so damn expensive. Very expensive. Um, Obviously, the opioid epidemic that has not been dealt with is very serious. So when we talk about you see people shooting up and stuff, a lot of that is because there are needles that are being provided even by the cities and stuff because they don't want people to use dirty needles. Um, And so it's one of those things where you're like, people are addicted to this. 
Um, we don't want them spreading disease, so they supply them the needles. And then there are like these homeless encampments and the mental health crisis. I mean, it is a mess. It's a mess. But I think that Seattle is kind of a microcosm in, in Portland and in California of, of the stuff we see in Atlanta, too. It's like all these problems we haven't taken care of and we keep pushing to the back and think that somehow it's all going to be fine one day without addressing it. Um, they're really coming to a head on the West Coast. And so I know a lot of folks are leaving Seattle, are leaving San Francisco. My cousin moved from out there and moved to New York. Um, and it's not just because of high taxes or whatever that may be part of it, um, but really it's it's because there isn't the leadership there at this point because there have got to be some really hard decisions made, right? And hard is not politically um, palatable to a lot of folks. So it's, you know, it's, it's tough, but, but we're seeing it here too. It, it's just, you know, our folks react to it on the other side where you have somebody like Cardin Summers, who's in the state Senate, basically want to come up with like um, concentration camps for the homeless and just send them there. I mean, it's just, you know, but it's still a problem that we all need to, to be aware of, but that was very, negative and, and grinchy. You know. Well, listen, I was in Seattle, what? We were there like two summers ago and I thought it was awesome too. So whatever, Jen, what are you raving about this week? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm raving about actually, cause you know, we were talking about Zoom and um, a dear, another dear college friend of mine who I won't name um, was informed me about Zillow Gone Wild on Instagram. Ooh. <laughs> And so I was very, I was told very specifically that I needed to tell Terry about it, that she would love it. So I would start love following this. that account and uh, that should be kind of uh, interesting and something that we can all go and look at when we should be um, working or doing anything else responsible um, during the week. Of course, after you listen to this podcast. Because, That's right. That's yeah, right. Because if you do live in Seattle or Bainbridge Island or Leavenworth, Washington or anywhere in between and I drove by your house, chances are I looked it up on Zillow. We know. Okay. Zillow Gone Wild. I'm raving about Jeff Hollinger. Jeff, it was announced this week, is leaving 11 Alive. He's been with Channel 11, but of course he's been with like so many news organizations in the city. And I know him from when he was on 96 Rock doing sports. I mean, I've known Jeff for a really long time. He lives in my neighborhood of Morningside, Virginia Highland. I see him like, it's so strange. Every time I go to vote, I always see Jeff there, but I see Jeff in Publix. I see Jeff every everywhere. And Jeff does this incredible, if you go on his Facebook page, he writes about old Atlanta, like any like deep cut about Atlanta from the limelight to, you know, things that happen on the coach and six on Peachtree oh, Street God. or like, you know, there's, there's this great Atlanta history. And I've been telling him for years that he needs to write a book about this. And I've been begging him for years to come on this podcast, but he, but for some reason, his last place of employment didn't approve it. So maybe he can come on now. So my tip of the hat this week goes to Jeff Hollinger. Well, and hopefully we'll have him on soon. He is, is one of the things where if you're listening to this and maybe you're thinking, I don't know who that is, Google him. You do. His image will pop up and you'll be like, oh, that's Jeff Hellinger. Because he is that kind of, I don't know if, if, if ubiquitous is the term, but like he has been just about everywhere or on every platform. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so you you will definitely recognize him almost immediately. And so congrats to him on a, on a great career, but hopefully he'll have even a better retirement. Yeah, I feel like he's going to end up somewhere and he's the, just like, I really admire him because um, as someone in media, when a lot of doors get, you know, closed on you, you've got to keep fighting. You know, you just... It's like politics. Yeah. You just, you can't stop. And he could do a podcast about Atlanta. <laughs> if he wants to come talk to me, like, you know, I mean, not many people can say that they've lost a statewide election. <laughs> Every time my, my kids start to, to, to kind of bitch and moan about something bad that's happened to them, I'm like, I lost a statewide election. So, you know, it, it kind of pulls them back up and they're like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Keeps you humble. It keeps you humble. All right. Anything else we want to let out before we wrap up? Anything else, ladies? Any plugs? Any hugs? And anything else? No, no. But we're gonna we're, we, we're doing this every week. So yeah, folks, subscribe, share, um, give us um, some feedback. Not on my mic this week. I will not listen to it. <laughs> no, you write write a review in the Apple Podcast. <laughs> that would really help. Uh, tweet it, share it. You know, tell your friends. Um, yes, we will be here if you could see, and because I will make sure of it if you could only see the text chain. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we're we doing, doing this? this? We're doing it. We're doing it. Thanks, ladies. All right. Bye. 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 